Now we will have a reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will she delay long in helping them? I tell you, she will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of God to the people of God. Thank you. It's so good to be with all of you. Ev, thanks for that reading. I am a naturalized American citizen. I have a document with a photo at the age of eight. It's signed by my brother on my behalf. I know, he's adorable looking, isn't he? It states that I am now a citizen of the United States of America. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, be in, in our midst at this time. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My normal practice is to preach from the lectionary, which many of you know is the three-year cycle of selected Bible passages, often corresponding to the liturgical calendar. I like preaching from the lectionary because it prevents me from picking and choosing passages and therefore topics that I want to talk about, but instead forces me to think about what the divine might be saying through me to the congregation on this particular day. So I read the lectionary passages for this, sun this Sunday and thought, meh, nothing sparkled, nothing stood out, nothing grabbed me. Now, since I look up the lectionary passages on my handy-dandy Presbyterian planning calendar, I notice something. The PCUSA frequently highlights themes for particular Sundays. For example, last Sunday was Christian Formation Sunday. And sometimes there are multiple themes on a Sunday. So last week also happened to be Disability Inclusion Sunday. So below the lectionary readings, as I looked on the calendar, it said Christian and Citizen Sunday. 
That seemed intriguing. Christian and citizen are not roles. I like being so close to each other. The fear, of course, is which of these roles takes precedent or potentially supersedes the other. We saw something of this during the January 6th storming of the Capitol. Many of the rioters carried Christian symbols and signs and even offered public prayer. That fear, which we now know is Christian nationalism, a toxic amalgamation of evangelicalism and conservative patriotism. In their book, Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States, sociologist authors Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry describe it as, Christian nationalism is a fusion of American identity with Christianity, preferably Protestant, with race, preferably white, nativity, born in the United States, and political ideology, social conservatism. I think I might have three strikes in that one, I'm not sure. Put simply, it is a view that you cannot be a real American if you are a Muslim or a Jew, an immigrant, a non-white Christian, or even a political liberal. Yeah, I definitely have three strikes there. That is the fear of a theme on being Christian and citizen if it takes a certain direction. Clearly not what the PCUSA intends. Rather, in the Presbyterian church, we believe, whether alone or in community, the idea of Christian and citizen links Christ's witness and our own call to be advocates and disciples for God's justice in the world. This claim takes seriously the work of Jesus Christ as one who reached out to strangers and friends, offering to heal bodies and spirits. Some may see the healing acts of Jesus as miracles. I would suggest they were acts of care for neighbor and thus points us in our call to social action. We do not advocate in order to speak for others, but we listen to the voices of our communities near and far and join neighbors in the cause for justice. We follow Christ and accept his call to love our neighbors with a passion that reflects his own. As early as 1966, the Presbyterian Church in the United States, the former Southern Church, published a document called 
the theological basis for Christian social action. Remember, 1966, the Southern, Southern Church. They provide grounding for faithful advocacy in our tradition, where it states, if we bear witness and serve the Lord, then as a church and as individuals, we have a clear responsibility to concern ourselves with the social and political sphere also. To say nothing and to do nothing in this sphere is to deny our own gospel. It is to say that there are at least some areas in the world and in our lives where God is not Lord. Let me repeat that last part. To say nothing and to do nothing is to deny our own gospel, and it is to say that there are at least some areas in the world and in our lives where God is not Lord. This is why we advocate. This is why we demand justice. This is why we are active citizens. Our faith demands it. Much of what I have just shared comes from a resource published by the Washington Office on Public Witness entitled Advocacy as Discipleship, a people called to witness. In it, the authors suggest that our scripture lesson for today, Luke 18, 1 to 8, stands as one of the clearest examples of public witness in the Bible. Listen to that opening line that Jesus uses in this parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. City, that's the root word for citizen. And a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for a judge? Now on the surface, I thought I would not wanna come before this judge. But would it be good for a judge who is overly religious or one who respects and therefore influenced by people. And who should come before this judge but a widow? Someone with one of the lowest status at that time in her society. But this judge does not have respect for people and therefore does not have regard for them. So if a person's high status does not mean anything to this judge, then conversely, one's low status might not affect his opinion either. I'm starting to think I might have a chance with this judge. 
the widow who kept coming for the, to the judge saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, the judge refused, but later said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. While it appears that the judge grants the widow's request just to get rid of an annoyance, there still had to be some merit to the request. Because it seems that clearly if the judge thought otherwise, he would have dismissed her from the outset. Go away, you have no case. You are wrong. There is no injustice here. But the judge grants the request for justice. So finally, Jesus concludes and says, and will not God grant justice to God's chosen ones who cry to the Lord day and night? And will God delay long in helping them? I tell you, God will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Humanity comes, Will he find faith on earth? Jesus uses the widow as the model of prayer, an active, unrelenting force for justice. Jesus calls us to have perseverance like the unnamed widow our persistence in the face of injustice is the model of the faith God wants to find on earth. But that final question Jesus asked haunts me a little. And yet, will faith be found on earth? I wonder if it is a rhetorical device Jesus uses to draw the audience in. The parable is told and it could sit there by itself apart from the listener. It's just a story about a judge and a widow. The widow gets her justice, the end. Great, it takes perseverance, yes. It takes faith, yes. But then the question, not about the judge, not about the widow, not even about God, whom Jesus is confident will quickly grant justice. But is there any faith to be found here? And if there is faith, where is it? The listener is now drawn into the parable. 
I often reread letter from Birmingham jail. At least once a year, I read it. I need to be reminded that Dr. King addresses the letter this way. My dear fellow clergymen, and they were all men at that time in his address. I need to be reminded that letter from Birmingham jail was not a general speech or document. It was a response to statement from Alabama clergymen. And the statement was not penned by a bunch of independent evangelical lunatics. The signers of that statement were Reverend Carpenter, Bishop of Alabama, Reverend Dirk, Bishop, Diocese of Mobile, Birmingham, Rabbi Grafman, Temple Emmanuel, Reverend Hardin, Bishop, Alabama Conference, Methodist Church, Reverend Harmon, Bishop, North Alabama Conference Methodist Church, Reverend Murray, Bishop, Episcopal Diocese of Alabama, Reverend Ramage, Moderator, Synod of Alabama Presbyterian Church U.S., Reverend Stallings, Pastor, First Baptist, Birmingham. These were leaders in their respective denominations. All of them were critical of the work and the person of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You have to think about them when Dr. King writes this in his letter. We will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of people willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, Time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. The tireless efforts of people willing to be co-workers with God. Sounds like a certain widow that Jesus talked about. So when asked, where is the theological basis for social witness? The widow from Luke guides us towards an answer. She shows us prayer and action, prayer that refuses to, to stop just because the political climate is not right. I confess, I usually throw up my hands when I think about our current political climate when all we hear about is story after story of political gridlock. Can you blame someone for just wanting to give up? The struggle just seems too difficult 
But Jesus reminds us, will not God grant justice? In a 2009 article, then PCUSA stated clerk, the Reverend Grady Parsons, wrote about the lifestyle of a persistent widow. He described the witness of Francis McAmey, one of the founders of the Presbyterian Church in the United States. He was imprisoned in 1707 by the then governor of New York, who was appointed by the King of England. In that letter, the governor described Francis McAmey as a preacher, a doctor, a merchant, an attorney, and worst of all, a disturber of governments. I want that on a t-shirt. Presbyterians disturbing governments since 1707. This is our calling, persistent advocates for justice. As widows, as disciples, as Presbyterians, as Christians, as citizens. Somebody out there say amen. Amen.